We, we are going, we have been going line by line through the book of Romans, and we're almost, almost done with it. We're getting close to the end. So um, how about if somebody stands up and reads, and some of it might seem confusing at first, so, but we'll explain it because it's not, probably not saying what you think that it's saying. So um, how about if somebody stands up and reads how many verses? Romans 14? Yeah, Romans 14. Um, read 1 through 9. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling or disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them must be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the, I'm sorry. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live... We live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Amen. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Yeah. All right, so some complicated stuff there. So <clears throat> let's give a little bit of background so that we can fit into what's going on. We've been going through the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's trying to show us that we need salvation. We need a savior. And so in chapters 1 through 3, chapter 1, he shows that human beings, he puts them in this category of notorious sinners, the obvious sinners, the sinners that sin with all of their might. They go with it with all the gusto that they have. They sin, sin, sin. And what he does, he's pretty brilliant in the way that he does it, is I think he's trying to get moral people outraged. To say, look at those guys, look at what they're doing. And so when he gets to chapter 2, he says, yeah, he says, you're looking at what they're doing, aren't you? And he said, uh, you do the same thing. You do the same thing. You just don't do it so openly. You just don't do it the way that they do it. But you're guilty as well. So you have the notorious, vicious sinners condemned. You have the moral person who points the finger, condemned. Then he moves to the next group of people. He moves to religious people. The religious people who think through their rituals, who think through their keeping of certain days and festivals and feasts and foods and all of these things, that that is going to make them right with God. And he shows them, no way does that make you right with God. So you have all of these people from all of these backgrounds, all sinners. We're all sinners. Then what he does in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is he says you need a Savior, and Jesus is a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. He really ta he talks about Adam, and he said Adam sinned in the garden, and because of that, you inherited his sinful nature. And I think, well, I wasn't there. I didn't do that. 
I don't know that I would have done that, but I inherited this sinful nature that I, that I naturally, I offend God and naturally I offend people. This is my lifestyle. This is the lifestyle of all human beings. We naturally offend God. We naturally offend each other. So I wasn't there doing that, but I inherited that nature. But I also was not on the cross dying for the sins of the world. Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus gave salvation and freedom and redemption and born again to everyone who would put their faith in him. You get everything that Jesus is by putting your faith in him. You weren't there doing that, but he did it. He did it for you. And so he shows that for chapters 4, 5, and 6. And then he shows that now that you're into this thing, now that you're into it, it's confusing. It's all kinds of new words, new things, new people. It's just confusing. What's going on? And there's a struggle. There's a struggle between what I want to do and I'm, I want to do this, but I'm not doing it. And you know, what's going on? And then he gets, finally, he gets to chapter 12. And he shows after all of these things, <clears throat> after you understand who you are, you found the Savior or the Savior found you, you're trying to sort this thing out, how am I supposed to live? You're supposed to live a life of love. That's how you're supposed to live. Live a life of love. Chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Live a life of love. And so what's happening right now is all of these people, all of those three groups, the blatant sinners, the moral people who think that they're better, the religious people who think that they have it on everyone, now that they've all recognized that they could not do it on their own, they needed a Savior, they're all gathered together in a room together. All of them. And we could, bring up, we could bring up the testimonies of people who have notoriously sinned. Some people in this room have so notoriously sinned that if, you, that if you heard their story, you would quietly go to the bathroom and from there go to your car. <laughs> because you might not want to be in the room with them. Um, but I don't mind because maybe I am that one. So... Um, and then you take them, and then you take the very religious people, and they're in a the room together. And then you take the very moral people, and we're in the room together. And everybody has brought their background, everybody has brought their bias, everybody has brought their own personal experience into the room, everybody has brought their opinions into the room, and now we're all gathered together with all of these varying opinions and ways of looking at life and, and backgrounds and people, and we're all here together. I can tell you that in, in this room, on any weekend, through, through these rooms, homeless people come. I can tell you that any weekend, that through these rooms, millionaires come. And we're all here together. I can tell you that there are people with not very much education at all, <laughs> and I can tell you there are people here with too much education <laughs> there are people here who have um, criminal records there are people here who are correctional officers police officers etc etc I remember standing here right here one day after a service a police officer came up to me and I was looking this way and he was looking at me and he said see that guy right there there's a guy right there he's got, he's got a red shirt on do you see him I said yeah I see him he says, you're looking at the right guy. He's got a red shirt on. He's got blue pants on. I said, yep, I see him. He said, I have a warrant for his arrest. What should I do? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I said, honestly, I don't know. Like, that's your business. You know, you need, to, you, you, need, you need to do what you need to do, and I need to do what I need to do. And he said, 
I know where to find them. I'll get them tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> so we're all here. We're on the room together. We're all here together. And, and because we're all here together, it's, it's not going to always be easy to adjust. It's not always going to be able to adjust, easy to adjust to each other. And um, this happens not only with, with the trouble among the brothers and sisters, but it, it happens with people everywhere. And relationships can get strained and at times be very awkward, and it doesn't take long to realize that. And so now that we're all in the room together and we've come from so many various places, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be friction. There's going to be differences. And it doesn't take long to realize that Christians come in various sizes, colors, shapes, preferences, tastes, backgrounds, and these backgrounds can have an amazing effect on how we think in the present and how we interact with each other. And, and sometimes this will happen. Sometimes you can have a more difficult time with Christians who criticize you than unbelievers who persecute you. So I want to say one more story before we start this one in verse one. Accept one another whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. There are disputable matters. There are important matters, and there are disputable matters. But this thing about quarreling, I don't know if you notice this or not. <clears throat> and I hope that if you're new to following Jesus that you don't get to see it. But um, Christian people like to quarrel a lot. They really do. And the household that I grew up in, my mother and father, I can tell you honestly that I never, ever heard my mother and father argue. Ever. Never. Just never, ever heard it. Quarreling was not part of the home of my mother and father. And my mother was a real peacekeeper. In fact, there's um, um, a school administrator. My mother used to work at the school and the administrator on her way out. She said, I remember your mom. And she said, your mom could also, she could also negotiate between preschoolers that were fighting. You know, she was good at it. <laughs> I, never, I never remember hearing them fight. So, so hearing quarreling was like not part of my background. Now, I had all kinds of other crazy stuff in my background, but hearing quarreling among people was not it. So when I came to Jesus, I, I didn't have the church background that some of us have, you know, growing up in church or whatever. And I went to this church one morning. In fact, my wife was there. She brought me to this church. It was the, it was the church, the denomination she grew up in. And it was, uh, it was okay. It was okay. I, I recognized immediately when I was in this group that, like, these are not my people. But they are my people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, these aren't my peeps. But I'm like, these are my peeps. You know, it was this kind of like, you know, I'm really close to them, but like, we don't really have anything in common at all. But they were my people. They were my people. And that, and that night, they said they were going to do a business meeting. So I was like, let's go to a business meeting. We get to go to church in the morning and at night. Like, how cool is that? So we went at night to this business meeting, and these people were yelling at each other. They were yelling across the aisle. The pastor was up there. They were saying things. And I thought, I never want to go there again. Like, like what is that? What is that? How come they're fighting like that? And Paul is telling us, like, Christian people shouldn't be, they shouldn't be quarreling, especially about, especially about stupid things and little things. Now, here's what's going on. What we're going to do is take this situation. It's a first century situation. And we're going to try to impose it on our situation because the principles are the same. And so the, in the early church, there were Jews and Gentiles, and they were attempting to get along together. So what are Gentiles? They're non-Jews. Every nation on earth, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. 
and uh, they have both come to faith in Christ, and they're gathered together in little gatherings. Probably those early gatherings, there were probably none of them that were this big. They were probably small gatherings in homes, 15, 20, 25, maybe 45 would be a, would be a big group. And they're learning to get along together or attempting to get along together. So here's how it works. The Jewish believers that are coming to Christ, they ate kosher. They ate kosher. The Gentile believers, the rest of the nations, this is Rome. This is first century Rome. First century Rome was just known for excess. So they ate meat that was offered to idols, to gods. This was offensive to Jewish people, idols. So the Jewish believers, they kept a calendar of feasts and festivals and days. Well, the Gentile believers, they didn't have any of that. They didn't come from any of that background. They didn't know anything about it. It would seem odd to them that people would keep religious holidays. Why would people keep religious holidays? What are they all about? We don't know anything about them. The, the Jewish believers had dietary regulations as a way of spiritual life. This is how you would demonstrate your spiritual life, is by the way that you, the, the, the foods that you ate and the foods that you didn't eat. They had foods that were called clean foods and unclean foods, and, and you would eat those on the, on the basis of trying to be right spiritually. Well, the Gentiles, they had few restraints. They didn't like eat anything. They had no rituals or personal spiritual life. The Jewish believers coming in, they have a very well-defined and strict morality. The Gentile believers, they're very loose and they have an open morality. That's why when he's writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's like, you guys are like this sex-crazed, crazy people, you know, um, the Gentiles. And so they're all together trying to get along. Think there are any issues there? Couple? And so at the end of the day, one of the noticeable differences between Christianity in most religions that are trying to get to God is Christians aren't bound by ritualistic rules. We're just not. In fact, if you submit to God, you don't need to worry about submitting to anybody. Submit to God. And the Tupac, his, his tattoo, only God can judge me. And so I submit, myself to, I submit myself to God. Well, we're supposed to go into all the world, and when we go into the wor all the world, we're going to find all kinds of people. So what do you do when your brother or your sister disagrees with you? Well, um, the first thing you do is you learn to accept each other. Accept each other. We're to receive each other, but not for the sake of getting into a debate. Not for the sake of getting into a debate. We're to receive each other and we're to accept the weaker ones. What's the weaker ones? What does he mean that there are some who are strong and there are some who are weak? Um, we're, we're not supposed to be making spiritual maturity a criteria for fellowship. That's not the criteria for fellowship. The criteria for fellowship is that you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You might be mature, you might not be mature. You might be weak, you might be strong. Whatever you are, we just accept each other. Just love each other. Love everybody. And so besides, many times those who are trying to keep others out, those who are trying to keep others out, are the weak ones using Paul's definition. So let's look at it for a minute. <clears throat> He's saying there are weak believers and there are strong believers, and they're offending each other in the houses that they're meeting in. They met in house churches, and they're offending each other. They know each other pretty well. In this context, you know, we come in here into this meeting, and we go out, and, you know, we have coffee and donuts next door if you want. In the summertime, there's food every, every single time. And 
But if you go to our Saturday night meeting, and go to the Saturday night meeting, because there's a potluck after it every single week, and it's a big spread. There's like so many different kinds of food there, and there's so many different kinds of people. But at the end of the meeting, what happens is the meeting ends, and then people go in there and eat, and you'd be amazed at who's sitting across from you on the table <laughs> as they start to tell you like who they are, you know, what they, where they've come from, you know, what they believe about the present social situations, you know, what their opinions are in those things. And you're like, whoa, you know, I didn't know, I, I didn't know that. So strong, <clears throat> in this context, spiritually strong, strong if you can survive contact with worldly activities, influences, family and past strongholds, bad memories, and not fall into those patterns. And so some of us have family patterns and past strongholds that we just need to get away from. An awful lot of us have things we just need to get away from. We have to leave that behind. An awful lot of us have worldly activities that we were involved in that we just need to leave it behind. We can't do that anymore. And, and the fact that you can't do that anymore when you're sitting across from a table from somebody who's like, well, I do that all the time. Well, are we going to get along here? We're going to get along. We're going to learn to accept one another. Past strongholds, family things, bad memories. Memories are, memories are very, very powerful. And songs can bring up memories. Do you know how that works? What do they call them those lazy, hazy songs of summer? When you hear that song, and what does it bring you back to? It, bring, it, can, it can bring the memory right back. First date. And, and, and you're, you're there, like you're in that space. First kiss. First love brings back these feelings. For me, it's like first time I stole a car. Like just, you know, you hear that, you hear that song and you're like, yes, you know, free. <laughs> so uh, strong if you can survive contact with these things, but, but weak, weak because you need to avoid certain things. You need to avoid certain people. You need to avoid certain places. You need to avoid certain activities in order to preserve your spiritual life. You need to drop these things. I came to Christ. I had a lot of things I needed to drop. And, and in dropping those things, the things that I was dropping, there were people, I mean, physical things. Like I was like, I just can't own this anymore. And there were people who were like, I'll take it. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> we had a meeting. We used to meet in a Seventh-day Adventist church. And there weren't a lot of us, maybe 20, 30, maybe 45 in a really, really good weekend. And it was this young guy. He was in the Navy. He had married this young girl. And he was having some, he was having some internal conflict about himself and things. And... Um, in the middle of the meeting, we were talking about something, and it set something off for him. And in the middle of the meeting, he blurted out, I'm bringing back that TV I just bought. <laughs> and his wife said, no, you're not. No, he wasn't going to give it away. He said, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give away that TV I just bought. And his wife was like, no, no, no. This all happened publicly. <laughs> so he's got to get rid of something. She wants it. Well, people come from different places. And sometimes you just need to leave things behind. Like if you have a picture of the girl you went to the prom with and you're married and it's in a frame. <laughs> like it might be, 
a good idea to... I wouldn't put it under the bed because it will be found. You might <laughs> just want to get rid of that thing. <laughs> so it's the same thing that when we come to Christ, like a lot of us, a lot of us have stuff we just need to, we need to leave behind and other people don't understand. Like, well, why would you, why would you do that? That's like ridiculous. Um, Jesus said this. This is how Jesus wants us to live. He said, Father, he's praying to God, and he said, I pray that you take, take them not out of, that you not take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus wants us in the world. He wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be people of love. He wants us to be peacemakers. He wants us to be all of those things. And so, but there are other things that, you know, that definition of worldly changes from person to person. Um, and there are lots of reasons why some believers are weak. Why are they weak? Their backgrounds, where they come from. Um, some, some people, I put myself in this category a little bit. Um, some people have broken down all resistance, which means that their moral and spiritual immune system is shot. Paul told Timothy, he said, some people have, ta have taken a hot iron and seared their conscience. Just put it on their conscience and just burned it. They have no conscience anymore. And so because of that, you know, coming to Christ, trying to restore your innocence, you know, trying to get everything back, you know, trying to just be an innocent, good person, you know, there's some people who their moral and, moral and spiritual immune system is just shot. So, but it can be healed. It can be healed. But it's the reason that a lot of people can't do a lot of things. One of my friends used to say about one of the things he did, he said, I forfeited my opportunity to do it. Like, I just can't do it anymore. I gave up my, I gave up my right to do it. And so sometimes, you know, our minds still need renewal. And we've said that before. People say, oh, you Christians are all brainwashed. And we say, yes, bring it on. You kidding me? Like, scrub these brains. These are like dirty, nasty brains. Like, please, more, Lord. Yeah, I need brainwashing. I need brain cleansing. Um, they might be young in the Lord. Maybe legalism has diseased them, that they're, that they're so religious that they can't accept anybody that doesn't do all of the religious things that they do and all of the religious times that they do it. Maybe malnourished because of a lack of teaching or maybe lacking spiritual exercise, you know, sharing your faith, whatever. Um, but it's interesting that Paul's definitions of weak and strong it's actually the stricter one. Paul sees the stricter one as the weak one. The stricter one. And so, um, if you're growing in the Lord and have been around a bit, um, maybe, maybe this will help you. If you're young and it you know, might not make as much sense in its context. But Paul in Colossians, he said this. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial. Really? What's going on here? <clears throat> there were these people that came around that were super spiritual. Super spiritual. And they're trying to get everybody else to be super spiritual, engaging everybody by their super spiritual standards. And some of us have met these people. Some of us are these people. Some of us are coming out of being these people. Some of us are going into being these people. And don't let anyone say that you must worship angels, even though they say they've heard visions about this. How does that work? 
what, who are these people? They're very spiritual because they're in contact with the supernatural like you're not. Last night, I have a message this morning because the angel came and visited me. The angel did not visit you. He visited me. Paul's like, stop it. These people claim to be humble, which is why the angel came to me. But their sinful minds have made them proud. They're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. We're joined together in his body by his strong sinews, and we grow only as we get our nourishment and our strength from God. Not from all of that stuff, outward stuff, super spiritual stuff. It was just from Jesus, staying close to Jesus. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the evil powers of this world. Why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Like don't handle, don't eat, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that are gone as soon as you use them. Like food. Eat food and then it's like gone. Um, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion and humility and severe bodily discipline. But they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. So... You know, people who are like, you, you need to keep the special days, you need to keep the special feasts, you need to keep the special festivals, you need to, you need to, you need to. And you do those things. And, and Paul's saying, you can do all those things, but it's not going to change who you are. Inside, you're still fighting. Inside, you still have this conflict. There are journals of monks, you can read th these guys, who they went on fasts, and, and went on quiet retreats for like a year or two years. Who is that ringing like that? Did you, is that me? Is, is, oh, my angel. Excuse me for a moment. I need to go get a message. So these monks, um, they... They would go into these silent retreats in order to get away from the flesh. In order to get away from the evil of the flesh. And they, they deprive themselves of just about everything and only eat a little and only drink a little bit of water. And they get rid of everything, anything that's comfort. They sleep on hard beds so they can get away from the flesh and from, from worldly pleasures so that they can commune with God. And they tell you that their minds are going crazy. Because you can get rid of all of the outward stuff, but it doesn't matter. It's not what's going on outwardly. It's what's going on inwardly. And you just can't do it. You just can't reduce yourself to enough, and you still have you. And you still have the conflict that's going on with you. And that's what Paul's saying in the end here is that all of that stuff, it doesn't have any effect in conquering your evil thoughts. So some people would call these areas gray areas. Oh, those are gray areas. That's gray matter. Uh, it's not gray matter, because when it comes down to my issues, they're not gray. They're very black or white. It's not gray. It's black or white for me. It's very real for me. And, and I'm affected by these issues. There's just say, oh, it's, you know, it's just nothing. No, it's something. It's a lot to me. And uh, these issues that exist, they're not issues of salvation. There's only a few things that are really important in the faith. And these aren't about salvation. They're just about living our life and living our life before God and living our life with other people. 
And, and they're not issues that are clearly defined in the Scripture. But the general rule here is, don't dispute about disputable things. It's just not worth it. And, and the, difference, the difference is that as we grow, you see, when a disputable issue comes to you, if you listen to what the other person is saying, you'll learn to be sensitive, you'll learn to care, you'll learn where they're coming from. And it'll change you. It'll change you. I used to do journalism, and I did some Christian journalism, and I would get assigned jobs to do. And I was assigned to go to a lecture at Yale with a guy named John Stott. And John Stott was the, uh, he was the chaplain to the Queen of England. <clears throat> Very proper man, brilliant. He's written probably 20 books. So he's down at Yale giving a lecture on Christianity, and I was assigned to go down and interview him. So I went and I interviewed him. And in the interview, I said to him, one more question. He's a Brit. And he said, one more question. He said, you already said to me one more question. <laughs> and he said, you're like the Apostle Paul in Philippians where he said, finally. And then he went on ranting more than he did on the, <laughs> before the finally. He said, but I'll grant you one more question. He said, but then you need to let me tell you something. I said, that'd be fine. Now I don't remember what the next question was. And this is what he said to me. He said, if you're like me, he said, and I think that you are, he said, because I traveled here, and he said, it seems like you came from someplace else. And if you're like me, and I think that you are, because I write and you write, he said, what happens sometimes where I am in Britain Sometimes I will write something, and I will fire it over the ocean, if you will, at a brother. And I will hit him with a little paper missile. He said, but then if you're like me, and he said, I think you are, because you move around a little bit. He said, if you're like me, you get to travel a little bit, and then you get to meet this brother that you fired a little paper missile at. He would publish, right? Publish, write things about people why they're wrong. He said, when you, meet this, when you meet this guy, you find out that he's a genuinely likable chap. He said, and then you find out not only is he a genuinely likable chap, but he has very, very good reasons for saying what he's saying. He said, and then you find out not only does he have very, very good reasons for saying what he's saying, but you start to find yourself convinced by him. He said, and then, not only do you find yourself convinced by him, but now you own that belief that you were once against. And he said, if you're like me, that's a big problem because I wrote down in print and had it published that it's not true. Now what do I do? He said, so if I were you, I'd be very careful about firing little paper missiles. Good advice. Be careful about it. Be careful what you do. And, and what you need to do is to listen to people. It's amazing if you listen to people and listen to their stories. One of my favorite lines is I like to say to people when I meet them, tell me your story. And almost everyone will tell you their story. Almost everyone. People like to tell their stories. And when they're telling their stories, sometimes it's at the place where you're like, please stop telling me your story. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. People tell their stories, and if you listen to them, you learn, and you're changed, and you find out what's going on with them. 
You know, it says that love always protects. And if you get to know somebody's story, and then people say, did you see, you know what that guy is? They go, you know, if you would know, if you would know where he came from, you'd be proud of him. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be criticizing him for where he is. You'd be really proud of him because this guy's making strides. So you listen to people. You listen to where, where they're coming from. The issues in Paul's day were this. Issues in Paul's day was they wouldn't eat meat, some of these, they wouldn't eat meat that was offered to idols. There were these idols, and people would take their meat, and they would offer it to the idols, and they'd sell it to the meat market. So when you go to buy meat, there's meat that's offered to idols. Some of these people, particularly Jewish people, they were like, I ain't eating that stuff. And then some of the people that used to offer it to idols, they were like, I ain't eating that stuff. So it's people on both sides of the equation that are like having an issue with it. Paul comes in and Paul goes, you know, an idol's like not anything. It's just a statue. No power in that statue. That statue can't do anything supernatural. That statue can't talk to you. Paul called them dumb idols, meaning that they don't speak. He said, they don't speak. They're not going to tell you anything. God will speak to you, but they won't. They're nothing. But if it offends you, then you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. And so... Um, <clears throat> what, what, what kinds of things today? So we want to take this and impose it onto us because we don't have trouble with meat offered to idols. And that's why it said some people just eat vegetables. Um, it's not talking about vegetarians or vegans or you know, people that, that eat you know, good and eat, eat healthy. It's talking about people that won't eat that meat that's offered to idols. That was the issue. What are the issues, what are the issues today? Uh, things you bring into your life. For some people, it's the music that you listen to. People will just be divided over, and some people will judge you over the kind of music you listen to. You can listen to that kind of music. Oh, I would never listen to that kind of music. Um, the place of worldly entertainments. Um, everybody put on a piece of paper, like what streams you own, you know, and then we'll bring them up here and we'll judge it, you know, and see, uh, <laughs> see if you should be doing that or not. You know, some people, some, some people, Christian people, will judge you on smoking. Should you smoke? Should you not smoke? Is, that, is it bad to smoke? I love Chuck Smith's comment on that. Somebody asked him, they said, you know, so would you go to hell for smoking, Chuck? He said, no, 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 you just smell like you've been there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's just like, you let it go. It is what it is. Why, why, bother, why bother people about this? Here's one, going to the beach, not going to the beach. I can tell you there's a lot of people in the room just say, can't go to the beach. There's other people that love the beach. There's other people that get the, get the yearly pass. Oh, the beach, the beach pass is open. I've got to go get the beach pass. You want to go to the beach with me? No. Why not? Oh, I just don't want to. That's why. Well, some people can't go to the beach. <sighs> Christian people fall into these things. In India, I've had the privilege of teaching in India a few times. There are, there are in the Christian community, there's different standards of dress and they judge each other based on this dress. There's this, this one style they call a Nehru, which brings it all the way up to all the way up to your chin. You have to cover yourself. All the way from here, all the way down to your ankles. So that nothing shows. But those ladies that wear the Nehrus, they wear a slit in their dress from their ankle to their hip. So people judge them from the ankle to the hip. And the ones that judge them, um, they, they wear without the slit, no slit, and then, they, and then they have like one shoulder exposed, like part of their chest and one shoulder exposed. So, you know, people just get into like judging each other and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. 
the use of alcohol, the non-use of alcohol, the appropriate, the appropriate education for your children. This is a big one. What, what, what school should you, your kid go to? How about Moses? Moses goes to the Temple of the Sun University. You would never send your kids to the Temple of the Sun University. This place is like crazy, crazy, crazy gods and pagans and worshiping emperors and just crazy stuff. Well, Moses went there. Moses turned out okay. And you know what Moses learned in that secular university? He learned, because Egypt was so big and so powerful, Moses learned in that university how to manage large groups of people. Because when he comes out of Egypt, he's got, he's got probably three million people coming with him. And he learned in the University of the Sun how to manage people. Well, lo and behold, you know, that was the education for him. Young Samuel in the Bible, his mom takes him when he's a little boy and sends him to go live with the prophet. Sends him to boarding school when he's a little boy. Why would you send your little boy to boarding school? Well, that's what she did. Samuel turned out fine. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he goes to parochial school. His parents had the money to send him to private school. He went to private school. Timothy, he was educated at home. His, his mother and his grandmother educated him. Daniel, he goes to a secular university. So which one? <clears throat> which one should you do? And people argue about it. You know, which one's the best? And then we judge each other based upon it. The timing of the coming of the Lord. People like to argue about that. Some people, so some people have like a moral issue with dancing. So I can tell you this definitively. That there are some Christian people that should not dance. <laughs> can I get an amen? I mean, yes. Shouldn't there be a rule, you know, that you can be like, you know, I'm calling 911, you know. <laughs> you, you need to stop that. <laughs> Where should you live? Where should you live? Depending on who you are, you know, right now, you know, some people are saying, don't abandon the cities. Like, move into the city. Move your family into the city. The city needs you. The city needs salt. The city needs light. The city needs good people. Don't abandon the cities. And other people are like, get your kids out of there as fast as you can. Well, which one's right? Which one's wrong? The role of technology and medicine? Get a shot. Don't get a shot. People standing on this side of the room waiting for those people on that side of the room to fall down and die. You know, so... <laughs> Politics? You want to talk about politics? Climate change? Guns? Police accountability? What do you want to talk about? You know, learn to accept one another and learn from one another and find out why people have the positions that they have. Um, when, when someone disagrees with you, you don't look down on them. You don't look down on them. There's basically two errors going forward. The, the stronger one faces the temptation of despising what's known as the weaker one, and the weaker one is in danger of condemning the stronger one. Neither attitude is acceptable. It's easy for the one who eats the meat to despise the one who doesn't. Oh, you know, I can do that. Why can't you, why, why can't you do that? I can't do that because I can't do that. Some people, there's just things that, that, that people love that they watch that people are like, I can't watch that. Why not? Well, because there's something about it that you just can't. Can't go there, can't do that, can't listen to that, can't do it. 
And it's easy for those who do eat the meat to judge those who, who, who don't eat it to judge those who do. But God doesn't despise or condemn, so, so why should we? Our Saturday night service, we had somebody stand up and read this. And when they got to verse 4, it says, you know, who are you to condemn uh, someone else's servants? They said, who are you to condemn? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> We've used this lady a lot. Don't judge the servant of another. You see, you are God's servant. You're not my servant. You're God's servant. And so who am I to judge the servant of another? You can't, you can't randomly walk into a factory without a badge and then start evaluating the performance of the people who are doing stuff there. It's not your employees. They don't belong to you. You can't be judging them. And so we belong to God, right? Again, the two-pack uh, tattoo. Only God can judge me. Well, that's true. Only God can judge me. You can if you want, but it's only God that holds ultimate judgment over me, and he knows what's going on inside of my head, and he knows what's going on inside of my heart, which gives him the option of judging me. But you can't judge me. I can't judge you. And so Christians sometimes make moral judgments based on their opinions, based on their personal likes, based on their dislikes, based on their cultural bias rather than God's word, based on where they came from, based on what their parents believed, and it's passed on to them. And so our role is to be subject to no one but God. I'm subject to God. If I'm subject to God, I don't need to worry about being subject to anyone else, because I'm always going to do the thing that's right if I'm subject to God. I'm going to always be considering you, because the scripture's telling me that I need to be thinking of you as being better than me. So when I'm sitting across the table from you and I'm hearing this stuff, I still need to be thinking about you. You know, you're better than me. But Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And he becomes probably the best known writer in all of human history. So everyone will be judged by God. The time is coming. Um, <clears throat> but you need to get the beam out of your own eye, right? <laughs> Let me take that speck out of your eye. <laughs> you know, that's a... That's a pretty well-known passage of scripture. People that don't know the scripture know that one, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. Because the Lord will defend us and the Lord will make us stand. And so what matters is individual accountability before God. So we're not saying, oh, you know, just everything goes, you know. No, we're saying that you need to be a person of strong character before God. You need to be convinced in your own mind. You need to know these things. You need to know who you are and what it is you can do and what it is you can't do, who you are before God, and be immovable in that. Be rooted in that. Be grounded in that. Don't let anyone move you in that. But your interactions with people, ask them their story. Ask them their story. I think I might have told you that. I was doing a funeral for, uh, for a biker guy in... Um, there's, there's some hell's angels there. And um, so I went to this one guy. This guy was like gigantic, you know, and, and I'm there in a the suit. I'm the only one in this suit with a tie. And I got, a, I got a little black book. And I said to the guy, hey, I said, uh, tell me your story. He said, who the blank is blank? <laughs> Are you? Tell me your story. I said, I'm the pastor. You're supposed to tell me your story. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, uh, 
talk to people. Ask them their story. Ask them what's going on. And so, so mature Christians know why they behave like they do in the convictions that control their lives. Like, be who you are. Be immovable. God can make those meat eaters stand. God can make those non-meat eaters stand. He can make everyone stand. And so, um, when your brother or sister disagrees with you, be convinced in your own mind. Like, do have some strength, some inner strength. This is who I am. But be sure you can do it as unto the Lord. Can you bring Jesus with you? You see, there are, some, there are some places that I couldn't bring Jesus that you could. There's some places I just can't go. I just can't do those things anymore. I feel like, like my friend who said I forfeited my right to do those things. There's just certain things I can't do, certain places I can't go. Broke my life down. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus said that the seeds take root sometimes and sometimes they don't uh, because it said this one particular person had no root in themselves. I hate just like everything was no, no place to hang a hat no place to hang a hat on that life and that soul you know I mean all the coat racks are gone there's, there's not much left there but God rebuilds our lives gives us a new beginning restores the years that the locusts have eaten born again washed cleansed made new and remember that your, your actions do affect other people in verses 7 and 8 and that you might actually be stumbling somebody like, you might really be sending somebody for a loop. So be careful about it. And then um, maybe you can be the first to take action. So we'll just read the rest. Verse 10, you then, verse 10, why do you judge your brother and sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We'll all stand before God's judgment. As it's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and acknowledge God. So then, each of you will give an account of ourselves to God. Each of us will. Therefore, because of that, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I'm convinced, being persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then to that person it's unclean. Don't try to talk them out of it. Don't go prancing around, you know, that you, know, you, can, you can eat that meat that has been offered to idols. Others can't. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Why would you do that? Don't let your eating destroy someone for who Christ died. And therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. God likes it when you're peaceful. And then you get along with other people. They're like, hey, that person's peaceful. I like them. They're a peaceful person. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That word edification means building up. Anybody have a Bible where it says building up? My friend Mitch Christie used to say, like when somebody would say something snide or sarcastic, he would say, edify, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Let us make every effort to do that, which leads to peace and mutual edification. <clears throat> do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, 
But if it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble, it's better to not eat the meat or drink wine or do anything else that would cause your brother or sister to fall. Like, why would you want to do that? Just because you can, why would you want to? So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. There it is. If your brother disagrees with you, keep it to yourself. Why do you need to let everybody know where you're at? Why do you need to condemn everybody? Why do you, why do you need to make people feel bad? <laughs> There's a guy that used to go to church here, ended up pastoring the church. He was a pastor, came here for a while. And... Um, <clears throat> He told me that, that, that he got the message wrong. He said, I just, just messed up the message. He said, I don't know how I did it. He said, I was just listening to these guys and just, just messed up the message. And he said, there used to be this lady that used to come to our church. And he said, she was just the nicest lady in the world. Tad Blackburn was his name. And he said, I would stand at the door and, you know, say, you know, goodbye to people as they were going. And he said, this lady would always take me and she would hold my hand. And she would look at me and she would say, Tad. I just need to really thank you because, you know, sometimes I really feel good about myself. And she said, after I leave here, I always feel lousy about me. So, <laughs> you know, I just want to thank you for that. And Chad was like, oh, what am I doing to people? You know, like, what is this? Like, why do I need to, why do I need to make people feel bad? If the Lord makes you feel bad, then you should feel bad. But I don't need to be the one to make you feel bad. And whoever doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So when your brother disagrees with you, keep it to yourself. And then how about this one? Has it ever occurred to any of us that we might be wrong? I know the reaction that's going on inside of you when you see that. You're thinking, you know... I don't mind coming to this church. It's a pretty good church. But sometimes they say stupid stuff like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, has it ever occurred that maybe you're wrong? That maybe you are wrong. And even if you're not wrong, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, when he's talking about this, there's a parallel scripture to this in 1 Corinthians 10. And he says, why not rather be wronged? Why don't you just take the wrong? Like, why do you need to be right all the time? Just be the wrong one and be a person of peace. Now, there's two ways you can do this. And some of us know this from our human interactions. And some of us know this from our marriage interactions. <clears throat> that it reaches a point where you say, all right, I'm wrong. Um, no, that was, <laughs> that was not an I, I'm wrong. <laughs> All right, I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, we need, to, we need to go further with this. So my wife says that, that the nine hardest words to string together in the English language are these. I was, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. Hardest words to say, string those words together. Nine words. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. And I hear that and I go, you know what? I don't have any problem saying I love you. <laughs> maybe we're wrong. Ever occur to you that maybe we're wrong? Like, let's learn to love people, don't you think? Let's stand up and pray.